they trust me. And that's, that's something that I, I value. And I, I, you know, um, take really seriously. Uh, I'm not going to go dick around and, and make them feel like they're working for no reason, right? There's, we're moving towards something, whether it be cigars or if there's other opportunities for them in the future, you know, I'm going to be there for them. I'm going to be part of that. My name is Kyle Willis, and this is Marketing from the Roosevelt Room. Well, I want to welcome you back to a new episode of Marketing from the Roosevelt Room. For those who are new to this podcast, one of the things that I love is the cigar world. And I say world because there's so many aspects in it as any industry from manufacturers, retailers, the customers. And as someone, if you you miss our earlier podcast, uh, the marketing from the Roosevelt Room, where the name Roosevelt Room comes from, is a cigar lounge where I record most of these podcasts. As a cigar fan, I've been mesmerized by how... uh, cigar manufacturers and retailers have an incredible hold on being able to capture a customer, the audience and and relationships they build with their customers, and just a community that's within the cigar industry. One of these retailers that I, that's my number one shop, my go-to shop, and the the owner of the shop that has become a friend of mine is Andrew Considine from Small Batch Cigars that I am really privileged to be able to talk with today. Andrew, thank you for being with us here. Thanks for having me. So, Andrew, for those who are unaware of the cigar industry and and retailers, I'm going to give my interpretation, my definition of small batch. And I love you to correct anything I have wrong. And then from that, I'd love to just hear a little bit of the origins of where it came from. I had the privilege of sitting down with Andrew a couple months ago when I was in uh, California. I got to go to his brick and mortar called Maximar Cigars and was uh, just really excited and, and surprised at the journey this guy's been through in creating uh, what most know to be his online shop, Small Batch Cigars. And what I have fallen in love with in the cigar world is this boutique industry. Boutique, I, if, if you listen to our earlier podcast where we brought on Kyle Hoover from Ezra's Eye, we talked a little bit about cigar, about boutique cigars being like the micro brews of the beer industry, where if you are tired of the cores and Heinekens and Bud Lights, there's this boutique world uh, or microbrew similar and small batch is in my opinion the leader the provider of bringing these boutique brands to market and helping cigar aficionados as well as people just getting into the cigar world find some unique cigars that they may not have heard of but provide an incredible experience that is unmatched in, in the cigar industry would you, am I missing anything there, Andrew? Is that a fair way to define what, what small batch has to offer? No, it's basically on point. I mean, we, we try to provide kind of a boutique experience on both what we sell and, and our customer service and give the opportunity for these brands to have a platform to talk about themselves, whether it be through an interview where the, you know, the customers can kind of get to learn a bit more about the, the brand. Um, 
also featuring them on our front page to kind of give them space that they would normally never have. Yeah. Kind of like at the gro- grocery store, where, you know, you have Budweiser up front. Well, we don't mind putting, you know, smaller brands um, up front on the front page and giving them an option, you know, a time to kind of shine and see if people want to, you know, try them and engage with them. Um, but yeah, that basically sums up what we kind of started in, two, in 2012 when we started boutiques were really kind of ramping up. So it was like the right time as well mm-hmm. for us. Um, and then searching those out and then working with uh, the brands. Cause I mean, obviously it's not as easy as just calling them up and saying, Hey, I want cigars. You know, some of these guys don't even have the cigars, cigars imported into the United States yet. Um, so working through that process and uh, working with them um, to give them a platform has is, is kind of been our, one of our main goals. I love that. You guys have become a voice, a platform for these businesses to build a presence. And yeah, yeah, I, I, I try one of the, one time, one of them said, it's kind of like the small batch incubator, right? We have a process. <laughs> we bring them in, we, we do a feature on them and we put them on the front page and we, you know, have them in the new arrival. So it gives them the best, you know, opportunity to bring their cigars to, to, you know, to the market in the U.S. And now, none of that would be possible or frankly mean, mean anything if you guys didn't have a huge following and audience in your customer base. I'd love right. to, to hear kind of where that came from. Cause I know, you know, I had the privilege sitting down with you a couple of months ago to hear a little bit of this origin story myself. And I think it'd be valuable for businesses to hear just where you came from to build a presence that you could be an incubator for these businesses trying to promote their product. What, what, you know, I'll, I'll jump to chase a little bit. I, uh, before there was small batch, there was Maximar before you were the owner. What was your role? What was your process that led you to creating what you've established in both a very successful brick and mortar business and then a highly successful, uh, online presence as well? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, it's a, it's a big question. Um, (laughs) kind of, kind of, you know, the origin and what made this possible is kind of the two things that come to mind. And, um, really, I mean, I, I had for up till about last year, I had a different job. I had two jobs, essentially. I mean, I've been doing consulting in the tech world for a long time, um, and worked with some big companies and had a lot of opportunity to see what I liked and didn't like, you know, what was going on in the industry, uh, whether it be, you know, hiring people, working with people, um, that gave me a lot of valuable information uh, to kind of bring to small batch. Yeah. Uh, and then 2012, when I first, you know, before that, I was just kind of helping out on Sundays. Um, it was my local shop. Maximar was my local shop. Um, and it was just a way for me to, you know, I was already hanging out there. So it was just, uh, you know, I'm helping out. And then, hey, you know, what do you guys think about making a website? Um, and then that's kind of how the partner. It's really just how the partnership began. It's just wow. as simple as that. Um and from my experience of shopping online for cigars at that time, even though I had a local brick and mortar, there's certain things that we didn't carry at that time. Sure. Um, and experiencing other websites kind of just left me with a bad experience. It wasn't the same experience that I was having at the brick and mortar, right? I wasn't really getting to experience the brand and be carried along and taught about the brand. Um, so that was something that I saw that was missing and something I wanted to bring to small batch along with, the customer service and, you know, that ex- shipping experience, uh, that wasn't, you know, back in 2012 companies really didn't care about how they shipped or how fast they shipped. Um, and that's something that I, I saw that people were expecting. Um, and that really for me was like, if we could just start with good customer service, fast shipping, providing a Bovita pack, which keeps the cigar fresh, 
that that's something that the whole industry is not doing right now. Um, and that's kind of the basic origin story is boutique sure. cigars uh, with a boutique experience, just kind of a very customer focused experience. And then ch- chasing after those brands that are smaller that they can't find anywhere else. Um, that was, I mean, when we first launched, I think we had like maybe 90 SKUs, maybe, maybe, I mean, maybe even like 60 or something. Right. And that was it, you know? Um, and it was all really boutique cigars. Um, and then from there, uh, you know, I was a cigar smoker first, so I was already part of different communities, which back then really was cigar asylum and puff.com, you know, those were really like the two that I was involved in. And it was just, first I was a consumer and then small batch was just part of my, you know, there was never a push. There was never like, Hey, you know, come and buy this. It was just like, Hey, you know, I'm a cigar smoker. That's starting this, you know, online cigar shop. Um, you can check us out, you know, or not, it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah. you know, this, this is who we are. And, you know, um, and then from there it just kind of grew. I mean, um, but at the same time, keeping for me, I mean, one of the things I always tell people when they ask, you know, how do you start a business or how do you, you know, for whatever, right? If it's cigars or uh, clothing or whatever, it's, it's, to me, it's, you've got to keep your day job uh, in a lot of ways. For a lot of people, if you don't have capital, you have to keep your day job and then just work really hard. Uh, that's kind of like what made this possible is it wouldn't have been possible if I relied on small batch as a living, um, you know, small batch needed the time and the, the opportunity to grow by itself, uh, while I worked a different job. Um, and, and, you know, I did that for five plus years. Um, and so I wouldn't say that there was a point where I should, I could have left or should have left the other job, but it was just more, I need to keep growing this. And this is important to give it that freedom to have, uh, you know, not have to rely on that as an income or, you know, a source. Yeah. So that's kind of my secret sauce. I feel like, um, which is, again, I feel really lucky to have that opportunity. Most people don't. So, I mean, it gave it its best chance to succeed. So I love to dig a little deeper on that. I think, you know, one of the challenges I know for myself as an entrepreneur and as I've talked with many others is that challenge of when do I step out on my own? When Mm -hmm. do I take that risk? And knowing you came from a very successful, high-paying role in the tech world to in some ways, completely change industries to go from tech to cigars. Where, what was, and, you know, also knowing that you had some people that relied on you as a family man, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. what was your journey like in being able to take that risk and say, all right, I'm going to put, I'm going to say goodbye to that paycheck. I'm going to say goodbye to that uh, consistency, dependency, and put all my eggs in this new basket. Well, that's a, it's a nine year journey. So I, I mean, yeah. um, it's, it's not, it wasn't like it was overnight. So I mean, sure, uh, sure. I was working, working for, I mean, it was a software that I helped, uh, basically build out from, from scratch for it's a franchise company. And it was just, it, it, for me, I just felt like it was time. The project still had some life in it to come to an end, but it was a, an opportunity for me to start transferring some of the responsibility where I felt the people there, uh, that relied on what I was doing. Uh, would feel confident in me leaving. Um, I mean, it wasn't a hard, it wasn't, it was a very hard decision. It wasn't easy. Um, but it was a process. It was a six to eight month process where, you know, I felt that I was just getting burnt out and it was hurting both jobs, right? It was hurting both. I wasn't performing the way I wanted to perform in both, both areas. Um, at that point I knew like something's got to change. Um, and you know, taking that risk, um, you know, I I have a great wife that, you know, is really encouraging and that's, obviously very helpful. Yeah. I have a great team team at work where, you know, um, 
they're also encouraging. Um, but there's never, there was never like a, I have to leave. It was more or less like, I'm just not performing the way I know I should. And I'm not, you know, producing the way I should, uh, to my standards. And that was the, the beginning of the, the, you know, me transferring out of the one role. Um, but it took a while and it was a long project. Um, and yeah, there was still, there was a lot of nervousness to it, letting that go, uh, letting go of the people that I was working with, you know, making sure I didn't feel like I was letting down. Um, cause there's, you know, there's a whole store network in the U S that relied on the software yeah. in a certain way. So it was, it was nerve wracking, but I mean, um, you know, I did what I could and I, you know, didn't close the door in the sense that there's any kind of emergency for them. Uh, so again, I was really lucky in the transfer process. It wasn't like there was a ticking clock on their end. It was, um, initiated on my end and, you know, I made it clear that, you know, there was something that I was more passionate about that I really wanted to focus on. Yeah. Um, and then from there, luckily having good people that are reported to, it was more or less, let's just come up with a game plan, um, and get it going. Yeah. And I think something you, you said there, I'd love to learn more on, you said, you know, the, obviously uh, the importance of your supportive wife and while we can't really do too much about that for those who are uh, single and we won't get too much into marriage advice here, but I think the advice of uh, what you've been able to build with your team, I, that's something that I, I think I could glean a lot from our listeners could glean a lot from and what you've built with your staff, as I alluded to earlier, had the joy of meeting a handful of them when I was in California, you've created an atmosphere where people don't come into work. It's like almost, you know, in a good ways, it's that brotherhood fraternity where people come yeah. in to be a part of, of an incredible culture. Yeah. Did that happen overnight or what was your process like in building uh, the team you have now that are like brothers? Yeah, I think there was a little bit of, uh, I mean, if you, you know, from cigar stores, there's, there's, a, there's an automatic charisma when you walk in and there's people that are, they want to be there. Right. So that's sure one, right? Like they're there to relax. They're there to have conversation uh, there to be in community. Um, and I think that that's what we created. And that's what I, what I loved as an 18 year old, when I first started smoking cigars was there was somewhere I could go. And I belonged, right. Somebody I could go talk to, right. Uh, people I could ask advice from. Um, and that's kind of one of the biggest things that I fell, fell in love with in the cigar community is, um, my local BMM, right. I mean, these guys went to my wedding. These are guys that I go out to dinner with. Um, and I think the team that I built is, you know, I don't really view them as employees. These are people that, you know, we, we hang out outside of work from time to time. Uh, we're not sick of each other. Right. We work in a really small space. You got to yeah. imagine we work in a really small space. So there really is no privacy. So when sure. we're talking, I mean, we're literally together all day together. And I think that obviously increases, increased, in, you know, tension, but it also can increase the, the accelerate, uh, kind of the community aspect and growing together where, you know, you're discussing daily problems, you're talking through issues, whether personal or work. Um, and you know, these are guys that, that I really feel as family. These are people that, that I can rely on or if I'm having an issue I can call or when I was, you know, having issues we were talking about earlier with the house stuff, right. I was just going like, these are guys where I go, how do I, how do I get clean this material? Yeah. Right. Or how do I, what do I need to do here if this pipe breaks? Right. You know, um, it's just the whole cigar community. I feel like is like that. So it's really easy to transfer it to the people you work with. Um, and they wouldn't want to be there if they weren't, you know, the guys that are, that, that work with us or I work with or work for, right. Or for us, um, they're cigar smokers as well. So, yeah. I mean, they, they came in wanting to be there from the get go. 
and then eventually became employees. Um, it wasn't mm-hmm. like I sought them out as employees. Um, yeah. That's another great thing about the guys that work with this um, is, you know, they were, again, cigar smokers first. They weren't customer. I mean, they were customers, but they weren't, you know, trying to get a job. They weren't employees first. Sure. Um, so I think that really changes the dynamic between all of us um, and the way we support each other in such a close working environment. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but uh, yeah, secret sauce. I mean, if you shove people in a room together that like the same thing, <laughs> force, force them for years to talk to each other all the time, eventually those those boundaries, those walls are going to break down and you're just going to get closer or you're just going to leave. Right. And lucky for us, everybody that's worked for us, nobody's ever left. Um, oh, so I think that's, that's huge. Um, that's unheard of. Yeah, I think, I think so. But I mean, we're all, again, I think we, we all feel like we're family. Yeah. Um, so it's, it'd be kind of hard to leave. <laughs> it's not easy to leave your family. I think I see that point. So in that, then when, uh, when you're interviewing, when you're, you know, obviously you're, you've brought on staff of people you already have relationship with, and maybe this is more applicable than from that company you, you came out of before small batch. Mm-hmm. What is it that you look for? What is, or that would probably more on the opposite side. What is it that would detract you from saying you're someone who can join the family. You're someone who could be a part of our team. You know, your hiring process. Do you have mm-hmm. a sniff test? Do you have something that you say, this is, this is what I've seen makes for, a really good team member versus someone who really shouldn't be a part of our team here. Wow. Um, I haven't really thought about that, to be honest. Um, I think the way that we've, our employees have came to us or started working for us is that again, they were, you know, uh, customers first. Um, I guess there is a process in which I would uh, feel maybe, you know, there could be a, a time where I felt like somebody wasn't you know, going to be cut out. But I, I think that, I'm also a person that likes to really encourage people's strengths. And so maybe somebody that somebody might say, like, I don't want to hire this person. They're not a go getter. Well, I think that it's pulling the good out of what people do and encouraging them makes them into the best person they can be and then makes them into great employees. So for me, it's not really like, you know, we haven't had, I haven't hired them a ton of people. Um, but in the process of, if, you know, this person or this employee is maybe not doing what I want right now, well, I'm making sure to encourage the things they do when they do it right. And I think that they naturally then end up uh, kind of leaning that way um, and becoming the employee, whether it be in a short period of time or a little bit longer, um, that they can be, right? It's not like they're perfect from the get-go. Um, and that's kind of how I've worked with the guys <laughs> that work for us. Um, yeah. It probably doesn't work in a lot of environments. I don't think it'd work uh, in a big corporate environment. But I mean, for me, it's always been about you know, encouraging what they do good um, and then enabling them to feel like they know what they need to do when they get to work, um, feel like they empowered to make, you know, uh, decisions by themselves um, because I'm not always there. I can't, you know, I can't always focus on their problems. I got to focus on bigger sure, picture stuff. Sure. Um, and for them to come along that and part of that journey and see, okay, I can take this off of your plate so you can keep focusing on this. Um, that to me is like, wow, okay, you, you become the person that I, you know, uh, that I want you to be. Um, it might've taken longer, but that's okay. Um, you're just kind of figuring it out. Um, so I would say my employee journey is really a journey with them, um, and trying to encourage the best, uh, from them and then being exciting, encouraging them when, when they kind of get to that point. 
I like that. I like that. I think that's something I know I personally can work on being able to highlight what they do really well, make it clear, not only the expectations I have of them, but be able to give them a sense of empowerment of what they can bring to the table and a sense of ownership in their position. hundred percent. So like when we make decisions, uh, you know, I've talked to this before. It's like, you know, do you feel like you're following me or you're part of the journey? I think there's there's both of it, right? I, I bring them in to some of the conversations. Okay, what are we trying to do this month? What are we trying to grow? What kind of content do we want to create? You know, whether it be we need to work on pictures, we need to work on adding more items, um, and then figuring out who wants to take what part of the task. And it's it's not like I'm telling them to do something. It's more or less, okay, well, this is the work that needs to be done. And then they're pulling, I think, what their strengths are, right? Whether it be creating items or taking the photos, editing the photos. Um, it's really, it's it's not cut and dry. I'm not I'm not really micromanaging anymore, which is kind of one of the, the issues that, I, that was when we first started hiring people. Oh, sure. I, I couldn't let go. And that, that was my downfall, right? And it was yeah. hurting them and it was hurting me. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's a different journey for every company, but I think as a small company, this is what I found that works for us and getting the opportunity to see from a big company's perspective um, gave me a lot, brought a lot, you know, to the table when I wanted to bring somebody on and how I wanted to treat them and how I wanted to empower them. And I'd love to know any, any practicals of what you've done from either just one-on-one meetings, sit downs with the team and being able to help get your employees on board with your vision and future plans for the business. How have you made them feel a part of that journey rather than just be something you do on your own and give them a list of duties? Yeah, I think um, one of the biggest things I've worked on with this year is, is kind of focusing on autonomy and just making sure they feel like they're in some ways their own boss in certain things, right? Cool. Um, as I'm working on other things that that are important and letting them know that they they can make those decisions, right? If there's a there's a you know give them a high and low of an issue, right? If, it, if it's this big of an issue, come and get me, or you know tell me. If it's not, fix it yourself, right? Um, that's been something that I've seen that's really helped them kind of grow in other ways as well, um, and then really bringing them into the conversation, like I said before, of kind of where we're, where we're going, what do we want yeah. to do? Um, and then really trying to, on my aspect of it, not that they know this is never trying to let them down. Right. That, that makes them feel, I think that they're buying into the, the ideas cause they don't feel like I'm having bad ideas. Right. I'm not, I'm not letting them down. I'm all, I'm also working hard. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, they know that, you know, if I'm not there, that I'm probably doing something that is, you know, just as tedious or I'm working on something from home or I'm in a meeting or something. Right. So there's no doubt in their mind that, that, that the load of things is unfair, right. It's, it's, it's balanced. Right. Um, I'm not expecting something more from one person than the other. Right. Um, these are all kind of just kind of coming off the top of my head, but, um, no, I think that's, I think that's huge right there because especially in a small business where, uh, the, the boss is, has their hands, you know, 12 irons in the fire, it can be easy for us to feel like, oh, we're doing so much, but if the employees aren't necessarily seeing the output, they feel like they're doing all the work. And I think being able to, as as you said there, being able to really make sure they see what you're doing, they know what's going on. I mean, I know that's something I was struggling with last year of, I was so busy focusing on trying to grow my agency, but some of my team members lost vision of where we were trying to go, what their role was, and their sense of 
direction, their sense of and pursuit of that direction, but their sense of uh, what role they played in that direction led them to feel like they weren't really a part of the team and I missed out on because of that. So I think what you're saying here is is paramount that we, if we're going to cast a vision, we make sure to check back and make sure people are still following that. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I agree with that. Um, yeah. So let, let me take it from just a, a different angle. Only a couple more mm-hmm. questions. I, I, I won't try to belabor this further, but I think you're hitting on some really good points in regards to being able to lead a team. That if you let me play devil's advocate for a minute and just ask some kind of challenge questions, and if you don't have a response, don't worry. I know I'm putting you on the spot here. But, you know, first off, when it comes to working with friends and as we talked earlier almost a sense of family how do you protect that boundary between (laughs) friendship and employer without you know awesome to hear you've never lost anyone so maybe that you have a a secret here but that challenge of of never letting the friendship get in the way of the business priorities yeah no I I think that's a that's a great question I think that's something that I think that I'm from the get go. I had a hard time with, um, and being clear, you know, this is, you know, Andrew, your boss versus Andrew, your friend. Right. Um, and then a lot of that came from learning about the person and how to speak mm-hmm. to them. Right. And you know, what might work for one person and how you asked them, like, why did they do this or how could they do this better? The delivery of it was a huge aspect where, I can still be your boss, but I ask you a question, right? Um, and if there's tension in the room, we work in a small space, you know, I'll bring up like, Hey, you know, is there something I need to know that's going on right now? Um, or is there anything that I can help you with? Right. So there's, I'm, I'm still, uh, there's an aspect of, and that question is, are you okay? And then, you know, are you still focusing on work? Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's, there's, there's not like I'm, I'm not going, you know, why are you slacking? Right. Or what, what, why aren't you moving faster? Right. Like what is going on? You know, um, is there an issue that needs to be resolved? I think it's just the delivery of how I communicate, um, kind of creates, creates some of those boundaries. Right. I mean, it's very personalized. Um, it's not like I'm just asking questions like a boss. Um, but at the same time, it, they know when I'm asking a question when it's related to work, or if I'm asking them to do something, um, it needs to be done. Um, so there is, there is, I think for me, it's been a delivery aspect, but there has been growing pains in the sense of making sure that boundary is set. And if there's an issue that needs to be brought up, that needs to be discussed, just being aware of the person and how best to deliver it. Yeah. Uh, So they feel supported and they don't feel like, you know, uh, they can't bring up other things in the future. Or um, if there's an issue, they can't, you know, communicate it back to me because I'm the boss and I'm upset. Um, I don't know if that's answering the question at all, but it does. Uh, yeah. Cause I, you know what I hear from you and correct me if I'm off on any of this, but what you're saying that I think is similar to a point I've been taught before is that the way always supersedes the truth. And it's more important that I communicate the way to you for you to receive the truth than me just to sit here and be like, dude, you screwed up. Uh, this is yeah. wrong. And if I come, while that may be true, if I don't have mm-hmm. the right way to deliver that message, you're never going to receive it and actually change. Yeah. And I think yeah. that, that sounds, if, um, hearing from you is that's what's made that difference of, I can pretend, we will always be friends, we will always be family because the way is always going to protect 
mm-hmm. that aspect and you're going to hear the truth as a result of it. Yeah. No, that's, I, that's a great way to put it. Um, it's better than I put it. So I think, <laughs> you, know, I think you nailed it. <laughs> yeah, I'm only interpreting what I'm hearing from you. You, you, you get the credit. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think it's, it's a unique environment, right? I think that's part of, I mean, part of the secret sauce of what we do is um, we care about our customers and we care about each other, right? So and there's a yeah. balance there. Um, and, it, and I think it shows in the experience that we want to provide is somehow we're all on the same page, right? So somehow the energy that I have and the vision that I've had has rubbed off on them to the point where, you know, they're all in, right? They're, they're all in small batch. They're all in Andrew. Right. Um, and these are things that they have said, not that I have said to them. Yeah. Um, and that to me means, you know, they trust me. And that's, that's something that I, I value. And I, I, you know, um, take really seriously. Uh, I'm not going to go dick around and, and make them feel like, they're working for no reason, right? There's yeah. we're moving towards something, whether it be cigars or if there's other opportunities for them in the future, you know, I'm going to be there for them. I'm going to be part of that. I love that. I love that. Well, one last question for you. I like to ask this as my last question to each person I interview of being able to look back and recognize what's worked well, what's not worked and be able to then give advice to our listeners on what, they can learn what they can learn from those experiences. If you were starting over today with Maximar or with small batch or any business in general, what would you do differently? I know that's a very broad question and I'm more asking the, the general aspect of either learning from your mistakes or what you learned from others mistakes that you'd say, man, this is something I think I would improve on. And she say, man, I've actually done it really well. I'll respect that too. <laughs> no, instantly my mind went to something and that, that is, uh, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not great at asking for help, right? So yeah. I'm not great at relieving some of the burdens or, or looking for answers outside of myself. Right. So one of the things that I think is even at a personal level that I don't do is I don't ask for help a lot. And I think mm-hmm. that that's something where, whether it be advice on a business advice, right. There's, I'm lucky to have lots of people that I know that I can talk to about business. Yeah. You know, I look back and go, why wasn't I, you know, thinking about calling this person more and say, Hey, what do you think of this idea? Or, you know, Hey, you know, how should I do this? Right. What am I doing wrong? Right. I mean, there's so many opportunities now that I look back and go, there's so many people in my life that I'm lucky to have that, that I never asked help from. Um, Hmm. and they're business owners themselves or they're, you know, C-level executives. Right. And something, whether it be pride or just, uh, personal kind of, you know, anxiety or whatever, in the sense of, you know, I don't want to be honest with somebody, um, and say, Hey, I don't know what to do here. Uh, instead of, asking for help or asking for, uh, advice and, and kind of the vision of where we're going and how we're going, you know, just kind of hunkering down and trying to figure out yourself is one of the worst places I think to be, uh, when there's problems. Um, and I think that's been one of the biggest things that I've been focusing on, uh, now, but I think that's something I would have totally done differently from the get go. Yeah. Uh, not sure how that looked like, cause I'm obviously just figuring it out now, Yeah, but I think hmm. that, the amount of resources now that people have available to them is so different even than when we started in 2012, right? Um, the access to information, the access to tools to help start a grow a, a new business. There's just so many of them now. Yeah. Um, and so many people that are willing to like, like in this sense, you know, talk about it and give people advice. Um, that's something that I wish I would have utilized more. 
I love it. That's that's very helpful. I think that's something I've been trying to embrace myself. In fact, one of my mentors said to me before, so, you know, Kyle, an entrepreneur alone is an entrepreneur at risk. And I think that aspect of recognizing there is so much availability of expertise and resources out there, but we got to have, have the confidence and willingness to ask for help, as you said. I think yeah. uh, that's something that... <laughs> I know my pride has certainly gotten away of that, and I'm sure yeah. others. Uh, your your point is very very important, very helpful to be able to say, "Man, take that risk. Don't be afraid to ask." Okay. Glad to hear that. Well, man, thank you so much for being with us here. I think your your insights on how to build a team, creating an atmosphere where people love what they do and do what they love is, I know, something I want to be applying to my business and my team and really appreciate you spending some time to share those insights with us today. Really, my pleasure. I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we kind of worked this out. I was, I was really nervous and I'm really excited to you know, have that. <laughs> I'm really excited to have the opportunity to talk about it. So I, I really appreciate you uh, making that happen. Hey, I want to thank you very much for joining us for this episode of Marketing from the Roosevelt Room. I know you have a lot of options on what podcasts you can listen to. So thank you sincerely for taking the time to join us for this one. If you have enjoyed this conversation, we'd love to keep it going in our Facebook group, Marketing from the Roosevelt Room with Kyle Willis. In that, we have live video, Q&A, and create more of a dialogue. We'd love to keep the conversation going. So please join us on Facebook. Otherwise, look forward to catching you on our next episode. Have a great day.